Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable businesses and communities. This is Kate Meese, Executive Director of the Local Government Commission and host of our regular monthly series on smart growth and livable communities, where we discuss ways to create equitable communities that provide better housing, transportation, and economic opportunities for all residents. Our guest today is Jim Mayer. Jim was a daily newspaper journalist chronicling public problems for over a decade. He led an independent state commission that reviewed programs and policies and recommended reforms to the governor and the legislature. And he now serves as the president and CEO of California Forward, a public interest effort to bolster democracy and improve the performance of government in California. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Jim, as we look around the state, I think it's safe to say that the California dream feels elusive to many people. There are a lot of people experiencing a widening sense of disparity. Your organization has called for business and civic leaders to help elevate California. Can you speak to the key challenges that you're trying to address? Absolutely. And and while people feel that way, the statistics and facts bear it out. This is a very rational feeling for people to feel like However, they define the California dream. For many Californians, it's not coming true. And about seven years ago, California Forward and a group of our regional partners affiliated through the California Stewardship Network realized that the economic recovery was not lifting everybody up. And we went to work to create a statewide project that identified the needs at a community and regional level for sustainable, equitable, and prosperous futures. And then to harmonize those and figure out what were the priorities for the state. In other words, how can the um, regions inform the state and the state help the regions get to where they wanted to be? And we've developed an agenda that's captured every year at an economic summit, an annual summit, um, detailed in a document called the Roadmap to Shared Prosperity that identifies things we need to do to build sustainable communities, to build high quality jobs, to prepare people to have those jobs and to thrive in them. And increasingly over the course of the seven years, our analysis and our perspective has sharpened around those people that are not benefiting from the booming economy. So on that note, you talked about the work you're doing with the regions and California is is very diverse and, and our regions are very diverse. And we think about California being an economic powerhouse, but that economic power is largely concentrated in urban coastal areas from San Francisco, LA, San Diego. So what is happening in our rural areas and how can we connect them better to this economic development and economic prosperity we're seeing on the coast? So that is one of our greatest challenges and it's one of our greatest opportunities. 
So over the course of these seven years, as we've tried to understand what needs to happen so that everybody can participate in this prosperity, we ended up with a set of things that could, as I said, could we could do to strengthen workforce workforce preparation so people that don't have the skills can get the skills so they can get something better than a minimum wage job. We've identified things we need to do in terms of the state and local relationship and at the community level in order to build more housing that can be affordable for working Californians and those kinds of things. And about two years ago, a subset of the leaders involved in the summit said, we've been describing the two Californians between the folks that are prospering and those that are not. But in order to start to unpack that issue, we really got to look at rural California and see how that relates and what more specific prescriptions we need in order to connect the rural regions to the urban regions of the state. And while it's primarily that coastal inland divide, it's really fascinating because as you point out, Kate, even among our rural regions, there's a whole lot of distinctions. And so we've got to be very careful to understand what is it that the Northern tier needs versus the Sacramento Valley, or even versus the San Joaquin Valley or the Imperial Valley. So what the summit has been doing in consistent with all of its other work over the years has been to first tap into the expertise and the wisdom of the people who are part of the summit network and say, what do we know about this problem? What has been tried before? We don't want to recreate any wheels. We want to honor the work that's been done. We want to pick up where the conversation has faded or dropped off. And how do we bring those people back together, identify what some priorities are, and work assertively over the next few months to try to get something done in that area. So coming out of last year's, the 2017 Economic Summit, we identified three areas that the group wanted to work on. One of them related to forest resiliency and biomass, a new biomass economy. Another dealt with local water infrastructure as opposed to interbasin water infrastructure. And a third was around broadband connectivity. So those were the three priorities that have been teed up by the summit participants. So I'd love to dive into each of those a little more, starting with with forest management, which has been a a big challenge in rural areas in in California, both from the tree mortality because of the the pine beetle, the insect infestation we've seen, and also from years of drought, and that's contributed to our wildfire risk and really created a crisis in California's forests. So how are we starting to think about addressing that crisis while also potentially creating opportunities for rural communities. This is one of these challenges that seems like it couldn't be bigger, Kate. And it truly is one of those ones where you can't talk about it for very long without seeing just some tremendous opportunities to be doing a better job of both managing the forest and creating valuable jobs for regions that have been particularly hard hit economically over the last 20 years. And so that our work through the summit on this issue actually began about five years ago because we have a, an action team that's been focused on what we call working landscapes, which a term of art that a lot of people are becoming familiar with, recognizing that rural regions, whether or not it's rangelands or forested areas, headwaters, even agricultural lands, provide lots of values to the rest of the state, downstream to the entire watershed. And we need to understand what those values are and manage to maximize those values, whether it's carbon sequestration, whether it's holding snowpack, restoring groundwater. So we've, we've been working with the University of California and other um, research partners to better understand how do we value those working landscape services, those ecosystem services, so that they can be incorporated in a fuller economic picture 
and drive public investments and private actions to manage those. And then as you pointed out, many people have been paying attention to the challenges we had that were there before the drought, but became acute during the drought in terms of high tree mortality, complicated by the fact that we've got areas that with very overgrown forests that have gone through different management cycles from clear cutting to not cutting. And in each way, those have created their own challenges in terms of a sustainable, healthy forest. So in particular, what the summit has done in each of these areas that I mentioned is we've created a series of papers that document where we are, how we got to where we are, and what we could do next. And so one resource for all your listeners is on caeconomy.org is to click on the Elevate Rural California page, and you can see a, a white paper that distills what previous efforts have looked like. What's the status of rural California? And in this case, what's the recent work that's been done around forest resiliency? And what are the opportunities? It is one of those things where both coming out of the drought and then even when we started to recover from a water balance picture, the tremendous wildfires that we've experienced in the last couple of years have gotten everybody's attention, not just those folks close to the resource. And in short, and we can drill down on each of these efforts There's some very specific recommendations that have come forth about how to better manage the forest. There's for both um, ecosystem and fire prevention. There's another conversation that's maturing equally fast about how do we create a new set of industries that make use of wood forest products. And by that, I mean not just trees, but lots of smaller fiber matter for a variety of purposes that could have an economic value to extract that stuff from the forest create jobs in doing so and expand markets and create, importantly, create a linkage between rural and urban economies. So speaking of the linkage between rural and urban, one of the challenges that rural communities have faced is broadband connectivity or access to broadband. And so I'm wondering if you could just say a few words about how you guys are looking at addressing this challenge. Clearly, it's part of your Elevate Rural platform, but are there some best practices you're seeing in this space? There really is. And Kate, this is a good opportunity to of how we try to scale our contribution. In each one of these areas, there's scores, if not more, of government agencies, focused advocacy and NGO activity, and private businesses. And so the summit, as a collective action effort, tries to assess how, through our triple bottom line framework, and with our participation of public, private, and civic sector leaders, we can help to move progress towards the desired goal and be as supportive of that as we can. So in none of these areas do we think the summit steps in and leads and everybody gets in line between the summit. It's really figuring out who are the leaders that are trying to get to that triple bottom line outcome and how do we advance it. And the folks in the broadband field, the need is is really, really clear. This is the infrastructure of the 21st century. Half of rural Californians don't have adequate service to high-speed internet broadband connectivity. And it has wide implications for everything from the ability to achieve educational goals, the ability to achieve economic development goals, the ability to provide telemedicine even the ability for areas that we don't think of as isolated, like the San Joaquin Valley, but we have huge pockets that are isolated from a broadband standpoint. And and as a result of that, technology that's available in some parts of the state in terms of agricultural production and agricultural technology 
isn't available in some of our most productive farmlands. And so what we've identified is a set of, of draft recommendations that will be discussed at the summit in Santa Rosa on November 15th and 16th. That's really about identifying the three or four or five things that we think will happen in 2019 and 20, and how does the summit network get behind those? We think some of those are going to be establishing clear standards so that it can be less game playing and around when a community is adequately served and when it's not. We think that there's there's been some new investments that are coming in to, to do both the backbone structure and the last mile, but we've got to be much more strategic about making sure that the last mile gets to some hubs in rural areas that can really fuel economic opportunities. So we've got to prioritize what we mean by last mile. And the state over the last couple of years has started to make some public financing commitments to building out that infrastructure, but it's an inadequate investment and it's time limited. And we need to make sure that it's being driven by community priorities and economic development opportunities. So shifting gears a little bit, we're, as Californians, going to be electing a a new governor in November. So I want to ask you a few questions related to priorities for the next administration. One of the things that the new governor will inevitably have to address is the increasing risk of wildfires. So Melanie Mason with LA Times did a great series on a, a number of different issues from the economy and workforce to, to dealing with things like the like natural disasters and wildfires. And she argued that the next governor hopes to make progress in protecting the state against wildfire risk, that he'll have to spend political capital on the wildland urban interface. So Do you have thoughts on how we can elevate rural regions without increasing development and risk in these areas? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the streams of work leading into this year's summit in Santa Rosa has been a number of of work products and activities around resiliency. And in, in regions like Sonoma, after last year's fire, they set out not just to rebuild the 5,000 housing units that burned, but to use it as an opportunity to push forward a vision for a more compact, more sustainable footprint on the landscape that would help them achieve their full housing need, which wasn't just the 5,000 units that got lost, but the 30,000 that they needed to be providing for all of their workers, including folks in the, in the wine industry and the vineyard industry and people that could and should be working on forest rehabilitation. And Sonoma County has started their own conservation corps for this exact purpose, Kate. So there's an example. It's not our it's not our most geographically isolated area, but that's a place where a community came together after a fire that said, we're going to build different, we're going to build better, and we're going to, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which, to discourage further home development within wildlands, but for that reason included, to concentrate development within urban areas that would help us with the urban-rural interface, as well as meeting our climate change goals around transportation-related carbon. So our sense of this is is that there are some really creative and innovative things that, that communities and regions will be willing to do. And the challenge for the governor, the next governor, would be, is he willing to spend some political capital to create the right regulatory and financial incentives for communities to do the quote unquote right thing. Right now there's no there's little financial incentive and oftentimes regulatory barriers for folks like Sonoma to try to do what they're trying to do. So this would be a great opportunity 
for us to do what we've been modeling through the summit with our partners at the Stewardship Network, which is we've got innovative regions and communities. Let's figure out those that are really pushing the envelope on triple bottom line solutions and line up state funding for them and state uh, regulatory support. And it's very doable. This is not billions and billions of dollars, but it's financial incentives that would enable and encourage communities to do the right kind of development that reduces long-term fire risk. Thanks, Jim. And clearly, affordable housing is a challenge across the state and across the nation, not just in areas that have been ravaged by firestorms like Sonoma. And I know that's a, a major issue that you guys are tackling. So what are your thoughts on some key ways that the administration can help catalyze more development at large? You know, it's really pretty interesting, Kate, because this last year we worked on a, on a proposal coming out of Sonoma to, that picked up on what I was just describing. They had a proposal to create a district, a shared a JPA that involved both the city and the county where they really wanted to concentrate basically uh, rehabilitation and renewal and higher density, more livable communities. And out of that, we developed some proposals that how the state could help jumpstart the investment that would be necessary in the infrastructure to make that happen. And we worked through the models that said with a limited term investment from the state, the growth in that area would be able to finance future growth that happened in the right way. And we identified a couple of things that we thought needed to happen in order to prevent environmental regulations from getting in the way of what we thought was an environmentally superior answer. And so that conversation, the bill didn't get through last year, but the conversation started. And while Sonoma wanted to keep it focused on their recovery for obvious political reasons, no, everybody who looks at that proposal, Kate, says, why wouldn't this be something we're doing in every community to make every community more resilient? We shouldn't have to wait for a tragedy, whether it's a fire, a flood, an earthquake, in order to create the financial incentives for us to come in and build and rebuild in ways that are smarter economically, socially, and environmentally. So we've been doing a lot of work on affordable housing. We've had all the stakeholders together for a number of years. It helped to generate a lot of the ideas that moved forward in last year's housing package, the principles that were in Governor Brown's. 2017 January budget for where he wanted to move with housing uh, was essentially a mirror of the principles developed through the economic summit. So we think we've we think we've made a contribution at that level. And where we want to go in 2019 is developing this set of financial and regulatory incentives that would again allow leaders at the community and regional level that are really trying to find ways to provide adequate housing in socially and environmentally responsible ways so that they have the political support, and those projects can pencil out. Right now, many of those projects don't pencil out. And right now, even when leaders want to do that, they may face resistance in their communities. So we need to give them political cover, and we need to make it pencil out. So an, another area where we need to be building community resilience around is workforce. And looking at the demographic shifts we're seeing with a rapidly aging population and a shrinking pool of young workers, and also some of the changes that we're anticipating and already seeing around automation, what is the economic summit in California forward? What are you doing to help prepare these communities and the future workforce for these changes? So one thing I love about your question, Kate, is that the word resiliency and resilience is in vogue at the moment, especially in California. But you can talk to three different people and get four different reasons or four different definitions about how they define resilience. And that's not a bad thing. It's people are looking at this kind of core principles about how do you bounce back? How do you prepare for and then recover from disruptions that may be natural disasters? They may be economic in nature, 
It may be political in nature, but what we know about healthy systems of all kinds is that they are resilient. They can recover. And so we've been working at work at workforce issues in deep partnership with the community colleges, workforce investment boards, and our regional partners for seven years. We've helped craft a new state program with a new state formula that um, is already delivering better results for people that need two-year credentials in order to get a job that pays above minimum wage. So we've made a lot of progress there. But the challenge is, so now the next layer is, how do you look forward, see the radical changes that are likely to come, whether from automation or other disruptions, and really create more resilience, both within the institutions and the individuals and the employers. So a lot of our focus over this in this next summit is some very deliberate conversations around how do we use technology to better support uh, continuous learning and, and lifelong learning. And there's some very good examples of things we got done this year in terms of supporting the development of a new statewide online college, and as well as then what do we need for infrastructure to support gig or contract or informal workers? That's going to be a focused conversation at the summit uh, led by some people that are doing work in Southern California based on a successful model out of the United Kingdom. So that's very exciting work. And we're doing another session where we're starting to rethink how do we make sure that as workers need to become students again, that the resources are there for them to be flexible ways for them to get retrained and get or new skills as efficiently as possible. One of the problems we've learned is in the past, the federal government and others have funded the retraining of workers. And the criticism of that is the training comes after the disaster, after the interruption. It takes people a long time to get the skills they need. And the jobs may not be there for those skills that everybody told them that if they got the skills, they'd get the job. And so this, these models that are emerging that people are trying to explore is how do we create deep partnerships with employers? They're going to be the first ones to understand the changes that are coming. How do we create training and economic and curriculum that can be pursued by workers at night, part-time, on the weekends, so they don't have to wait till they lose their job to get trained for the next one? And as I said, how do we then uh, make sure that if, if there needs to be either financial support for the education or for the living expenses, that we've thought how to be nimble around that. These are all things we do now. We just need to do more, better, and different going forward. So the, that's how the Workforce Development Initiative within the summit has taken the resiliency challenge and tried to steer towards some productive recommendations. Great. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, but Jim, thank you so much for joining us and thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time in Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash infiniteearthradio and Twitter by following at infiniteearthradio.com.